0: Welcome to The Partnership, the straight up business podcast where co-founders chat co-founders with co-founders. I'm Jennifer Bettmeyer. And I'm Melissa Duran connor We Wait, know it's- what are you doing? Go ahead. (laughs) We know a thing or two about being business partners. We launched media relations agency Jennifer Beck Communications, a.k.a. JBC, together in 2014. So each episode, we invite co-founders to share their stories about building something new from the ground
1: up. So today, we are super excited. We are speaking with the Magic Spoon co-founders, Gabby Lewis and Greg Sevens. Did I say that right? Yes. Yay. (laughs) College friends turned business partners who created their low-carb, sugar-free cereals as a modern guilt-free take on classic breakfast nostalgia.
0: Like so many of us, Gabby and Greg grew up loving cereal and eating it every morning. But when they started paying better attention to their health, they also started asking each other why they couldn't find a healthy alternative that still tastes like the cereal they ate as kids. They experimented for over a year before launching Magic Spoon in April of 2019. And with that, sold three months worth of stock in just the first weeks of launch. They had some entrepreneurial experience already. It wasn't their first rodeo. Prior to getting into the breakfast business, Gabby and Greg started and sold another company together called Exo, which created protein bars made from ground insect flour.
1: Welcome, guys.
2: Thank you for having us. It's nice we're to We're so
1: excited. Yeah, We're really excited. The podcast brings us a lot of joy these days. <laughs>
0: I guess first we want to know, how are you guys doing during this insane times? Um, It's actually pretty apropos that we're talking to another set of founders during this time because you are also separated the way Jen and I are um, during this and running a business the way Jen and I are um, from remote places. So just want to check in.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a truly bizarre time. It's new for us as business partners to be away from each other. It's new for us to managing a remote team. So definitely challenges that come along with those things. And then personally, it's just totally weird being stuck in the house all day. (laughs) Um, I think we're, you know, we're both deeply grateful that we're, we're healthy, our families are healthy. And also that our business is one of the few types of businesses that is not suffering through this time, which I'm sure we can talk more about. We're selling shelf stable food delivered to your door. And it's just, totally a matter of luck that we happen to have chosen a category that isn't hurting through this crisis like so many businesses are so grateful for that
0: yeah absolutely so just to give everyone a sense of place gabby you're in the city right or where are you in brooklyn where do you live
2: i'm in brooklyn right now
0: and greg where do you live
3: i also live in brooklyn
0: how is it just generally speaking like when you guys go out for groceries or are you Um ordering them in are you only eating magic spoon for all your meals? (laughs) What's going on?
2: You know, we've been we've been talking since lunch about when someone's going to do a I eat only magic spoon for 30 days experiment And i'm not quite there, but i'm definitely close
1: That was my family (laughs) to be honest with you
2: Amazing, yeah, (laughs) like we need to measure it and like be very precise about it write about it afterwards But I think yeah, new york's definitely crazy right now I'm mostly getting stuff delivered. I actually went for a walk yesterday and like didn't walk very far at all, and like got weirdly tired. I think I'm not not moving anywhere near as much as I usually do, but but trying to, you know, trying to fix that and stay happy and motivated.
0: Well, it's really nice to hear you guys doing well. Um, we are we're so grateful again for all of our health, but also that that you guys are in a category that is doing well right now. Um, you have been sustaining my family for breakfast for the past five weeks as well. So yeah. thank you for breakfast that. Breakfast and dessert.
1: I will say eight-year-olds, yeah. they it's actually very nice. He has moved on, um, the eight-year-old in our home, from eating ice cream for dessert to asking for a magic spoon for dessert, um, which is a real a win. a huge win. Oh.
2: Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a great win. the quote and put it in an ad. That would be amazing. Yeah.
1: He thinks he, he considers that he's like, it's like eating cookies with chocolate milk. And I'm like, fantastic. Um, <laughs> I do
0: feel slightly guilty when I'm eating my, cause I, chocolate's my favorite flavor. But When I'm eating it in the morning, I'm like, what, this is too good. And like the milk is all chocolatey at the end and I'm guzzling it. And I'm like, this can't be this healthy, <laughs> but then I don't care. And I like have a
1: second bowl. So it's fine. Let's talk a little bit about kind of your history as co-founders. So you guys met when you were at Brown together.
2: We did, yeah, early on in freshman year.
1: And then, were you roommates? Were you just friends? Were you? How did? How did you guys meet in a class?
2: We met, I think, probably second or third week. Our dorms were pretty close to each other, and we became good friends very quickly. And then, um, our second year at Brown, we were roommates with a few other guys as well. And then, throughout our time there, we were just very good friends and roommates on and off. And. Then towards the end of our time there, we decided to get into business together.
0: But like, how does that conversation start? You just like, we don't wanna go into a traditional boring job. Let's figure out what we can do together so we can have fun, but also create something. Like, how does that happen?
2: Gradually. So there wasn't like one moment where we were like, let's go into business together and figure out what it is. It actually came more from the idea as the starting point and then like business partners followed. So during, during my senior year, actually, I I was like very into nutrition and fitness and was doing powerlifting and CrossFit and all this stuff and had an idea for a paleo protein bar because paleo at the time was huge. It was like during CrossFit's peak and it was kind of pre-Rx bar, pre all these like clean bars. And so there wasn't really a bar that satisfied the paleo diet. And so I was sort of thinking about an idea in that vein. And then Greg sort of came up with the idea of what if we made it a little more interesting and added crickets to it. And that wasn't that was wasn't as random as yes. it sounds. Greg can speak more to it, but was prompted by, he actually went to this conference hosted by the Dalai Lama at MIT, and people there were talking about how if we could just introduce insect protein to the American diet, it could solve the global food crisis and have massive, amazing implications in terms of sustainability and water use and land use and all these other resources that can be saved because insect protein is so efficient compared to mm-hmm. protein sources. So you'd sort of heard this idea of eating insects and thought that if we can combine it with my idea for a healthy protein bar, maybe that could be like the way in for convincing Americans that eating insects isn't that weird because you can sort of hide it in the protein bar. And I started off as like a little side project and then by the time we graduated, it become more serious, and then we just did it.
0: Really. <laughs> Greg, did you try any insect protein before you brought this idea to Gabby?
2: Nope.
3: I'd never tried it before. Um, <laughs> and also, I don't think I don't know. You know, I wasn't. I didn't come to him and say, <laughs> like, let's start this business tomorrow. It was sort of more of like a gradual. Hey, I like went to this interesting talk. Like, I know you're trying to do this thing. Have you ever thought about? like using this as a hook like do you think it would work and then we sort of tried it on our own and then realized actually using the same recipe that Gabby already had developed that you it really didn't change any anything in the taste so that's sort of when we
2: decided to, to try it we're, we're glossing over a lot of ordering thousands of live crickets to our house on campus and
0: oh my gosh
2: what our roommates thought when that happened and some crickets escaping and it was um, yeah it was it was a more complicated business than, than cereal
1: were your roommates your, te- your taste testers were they always just signing up for tasting different insects or were the well, two of you just spending all day and night eating insects crickets
2: well just, yeah i mean just to be clear it wasn't like all these different crazy <laughs> <laughs> like we, we knew that if we had a- if we were to have any shots in convincing americans to eat bugs it had to be very subtle and kind of hidden. So yeah. the insect itself had to be, like, it couldn't be a cockroach, obviously. Right. Like anything like that would have to be a relatively cute, it's the wrong word, but like, you know, a relatively easy insect. Like a benign
0: insect. Insect. Yeah, insect.
2: a benign insect like a cricket. And then we would have to sort of hide it somehow. Um, so it was really mostly crickets that we were working with and we turned them into basically a protein powder. So people didn't, necessarily know unless we told them which we usually did that they were eating crickets
0: yeah so you guys we'll fast forward a bit but how long from the i like the initial idea to the first exo bar being packaged and on shelves or however you're distributing it what was the timeline and then from there what was the timeline because you guys exited right you sold that business what was what was that time frame
2: the idea was the beginning of our senior year at Brown, then when we graduated, we moved to New York, we launched a Kickstarter, it all became real. We shipped the products a few months after that Kickstarter, so the summer of 2013, and then we ran that business for about five years. And so we sold it, coming up on two years now, and then a year ago, we got into the cereal business.
0: Amazing. Well, and that's where we get to come in, which is really nice. We're, we're so proud of having been part of your launch and and being your partner ongoing. Um, I guess what we should talk about is how do you guys define your partnership? And, and because you're now in your second successful business, is it you were friends first? Like, do you think being friends first made a bigger difference? Like what, what would you attribute your success to when it comes to your partnership?
2: I think it's a number of things. Being friends first is definitely really important. I think knowing the ups and downs that come with running every company, the risk that you take by going into business with someone you don't know very well is just insane to me, right? I mean, you're basically, you're kind of getting married. You, you have no idea how someone's going to act to bad news and under pressure and all these things that you've just met them. So having been friends for a few years and having already gone through many ups and downs together that weren't business related definitely helped inform like our confidence in going into business together mm-hmm. and now we are we're co-founders we're co-CEOs we're actually like if you looked up conventional business pseudo science on what makes good co-founders it's probably not us so mm-hmm. usually co-founders <laughs> have complementary skills and abilities maybe you have one that's very outgoing and does the sales and marketing, and the other that's maybe more reserved and does finance or whatever, and they've got like different skills. We're actually pretty similar in the way we think about things. So it's not like my brain works one way and Greg's works another way, and we counterbalance each other perfectly. Mm-hmm. We're probably too similar, which I think has worked actually. Um, it means we rarely disagree about anything, which I think is maybe more productive in some cases than having co founders that do challenge each other and disagree about everything. Um, So we we're generally aligned which makes like a very smooth and efficient partnership
1: Yeah, I mean we couldn't agree more on that. It's funny. We get that question a lot too is What's Melissa's skill set? What's your skill set? And how do you guys differ? And we say this We said this on a few of the podcasts and a few of the co-founders we've spoken to but in our core We have the same value system as women as people And so before we are even talking about business, we both value our family, we both value our health, we both value our team. And to me, that is 10 times more important than kind of like, how do you guys counterbalance each other? I think being on the same page as your co-founder is the most important thing. You know, we definitely come to a head occasionally and we have had a few battles, which I think any good partnership has. But at the end of the day, we, I mean, I think 99% 99% of the time we answer every question the same way.
0: Yeah. So would you say, cause we've, I've we've talked to partners and co-founders who really have like a line in the sand, like you said, where like truly they're like, I don't even think about sales or marketing and I don't put my two cents in. And I, and even if I disagree, I let them make the executive decision and on the operation side too. Like do you guys literally make every single decision together?
3: Um, We we definitely have like clearly delineated verticals within the company. So broadly, I do operations, finance, legal product development, and Gabby does basically all the sales strategy and online marketing and that kind of stuff. And we're both pretty involved, like in the earliest stages of decisions, like setting the strategy. But then in terms of like execution or day-to-day management, we sort of at this stage, like given now that we also have a team, um, are sort of have delegated it out. So we're not that involved day-to-day actually with what each other's doing. Besides like, for example, like I'll do a proofread of all of our marketing emails when Gabby like gives me a heads up that they're ready for review. But like, besides that, I won't be that involved or he'll like taste all of the different iterations of the Mm -hmm. product. But like he doesn't know sort of like the day-to-day product status of each of them, that kind of thing.
1: And did you guys sit down and decide on that or did that kind of just naturally fall into place?
2: I mean, it sort of naturally fell into place fairly early. I think there were things that we both thought were the most fun parts of running a business. So we kind of share those areas. So even though I do marketing in general, we'll share branding. And of course, branding is like very front loaded. So there's not that much active stuff happening now. And then we just sort of fell into me doing more of the sales and Greg doing more of the operations. And now at this point, even though either one of us could learn the other side of the business, we've both built up so much institutional knowledge after doing this for like seven years now that it's kind of too late to turn back. (laughs) And so we just stick with it for now. Um,
0: Which is funny because in listening to how you guys are talking about your partnership, in the beginning, you said we're not the people who have clearly delineated roles who, you know, <laughs> have different skill sets or different. Maybe you. I do agree that you have similar mentalities, but yeah. you have kind of fallen into two separate roles. But it, I think it's important that you the foundation of what you said is true first, which is you still think things through similarly and have like a same. The vision is the same and you kind of naturally decided who like. I'm gonna work on this, you work on this, and we're gonna do it with that same value system and vision. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, to be clear, like I think it's it's vital that you have you have ownership over certain areas and like everybody knows ultimately who's responsible for every individual part of the business. Mm-hmm. You certainly have that. I think more what I meant, which I realized I sort of contradict myself a little bit, <laughs> okay. I think more what I meant is like in theory, given the way each of our brains work, it could have gone the other way. So it, sure. it's not the case that I'm like a born marketer. I've sort of figured it out and it's not the case that Greg is like loves spreadsheets more than anything. Like we could have gone the other way. This is just sort of where where it ended up.
0: Yeah. So my question is how has your dynamic changed or not changed now in this setting where you are remote and managing team you're not together often? At all, actually. And you're managing your team remotely. Are you sharing? I mean, there's so many things are happening and changing so quickly, especially for you as a business. You guys made a very fast decision to donate 20,000 boxes to the hunger problem early on. So now that you're making these quick decisions, is there more crossover or how are you managing that? Or is it the same and nothing has changed just despite the fact that you haven't seen each other?
2: I think the fact that we know each other so well and we've been partners in business for so long makes it much easier. So we're, we're already so deeply aligned on what these decisions are going to be that we haven't had to massively up the communication between the two of us. It's a little bit of a different story for the rest of the team though. Like they don't know each other that well. And we have, we actually have one new hire who started a month ago. So for her, it's a totally different story. So Mm -hmm. he's our head Mm -hmm. of growth and she's doing an amazing job, but I now have like daily video calls with her, which is something entirely new. And obviously not what we would have done if we were in the same place as each other. So for certain team members, our communication style and frequencies changed radically. But for the two of us, it's just kind of the same. Rather than hopping in a conference room for five minutes, we'll just call each other for five minutes. But beyond that, it's been relatively seamless for us and our partnership.
1: How often do you guys speak every day? It
2: varies. We, we definitely talk every day. We actually start the day with our entire team. 10 a.m. We have a five-minute video call every morning. Um, oh,
0: wait, wait, wait. How do you keep that to five minutes?
2: <laughs> I don't believe
3: you. Five minutes is probably optimistic. <laughs> I
2: mean, we, we really try not to go past 10 or 15. And like we'll just say goodbye <laughs> and we'll end the Zoom call. Like the, the, the whole point is just to make everyone feel like they're together and have a cup of coffee together. We don't let anyone talk business. So if anyone asks... Oh, that's a question, nice. Yeah. Like if, you, if someone's like, oh, what's happening with this promotion this afternoon? We say, we'll talk about it later. Um, and so that helps cut it down. And it's just for everyone to smile and say hi. And so well, Greg and I are obviously talking to each other briefly at that moment. And then maybe we'll talk once throughout the day maybe twice, but no more than that.
1: Wow.
0: Jen, can you imagine a day where we only talk (laughs) once or twice? I don't think that's ever
1: happened. I think Melissa and I, I mean, it's funny because I moved to LA, you know, a little less than a year ago, Melissa and I, our partnership has been put to the test. We went from sitting next to each other for six years and being attached at the hip. And all of a sudden, you know, I was across the country, but I mean, for us, because we're in the communications world and there's, you know, quite a few clients that need, really intense support right now it's been crucial to kind of be in contact every day that often i also Um, think being on
0: a different time zone has you know i get three hours in the morning where it's quiet from jen (laughs) until she you know is uh, alive enough to start getting into the day so that also has like kind of changed the dynamic a little bit and balanced us a tiny bit so it's it's fine it's working
1: what do you guys have in terms of being co-founders are there Certain areas off limits. Are you involved in each other's personal lives or do you kind of keep it more business? I mean, you mentioned that you guys were friends first. you obviously live together in college? Do you have any boundaries or
2: <laughs> we, we try to have some boundaries? Yeah. I mean, we we're still good friends and most of our friends or both of us in New York are the same friends we had in college together. So we still like hang out as friends with our broader friend group. Often we try really hard not to talk business during those settings. It's much easier now. At the beginning, it was really hard for us. In fact, when we first graduated from college, we we lived together for that first year with a couple of other roommates. And so that was like terrible for those other roommates, just the fact that we always talk business all the time. But now we haven't lived together for a while and we're a lot more comfortable and it's just natural to sort of separate the worlds and switch it off when we're seeing each other as friends with other people and switch it on when we need to.
0: Now I'm realizing you guys are coming up on your one year anniversary. It's been probably one of the most successful CPG launches in a really long time, which again, like beyond proud to be a part of it. What do you guys like have in your vision for year two? What do you want to see Magic Spoon kind of um, you know kind of grow into, and any advice that you have for other entrepreneurs who may be in similar life cycles of their brand as they're kind of either trying to figure out their way through COVID, but also just their way forward in general?
2: It's a lot of questions.
0: I know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you can answer just one if you
2: want. <laughs> um, I'll take the last one because that's the one I remember about COVID. I think
0: probably me too. I don't know if I remember my other questions either.
2: I think it's getting it's getting easier now. So, like, firstly, really recognize that lots of brands, depending on their industry, are like having a really, really hard time right now. And I don't pretend to have any solutions for businesses that are facing supply chain problems or decreases in demand or anything like that. But on the, you know, on the marketing side for businesses that haven't seen, you know, the world collapse beneath them and are grateful for that, we we made a quick decision early on, like you mentioned, to donate some products, um, mostly to nonprofits based here in New York, going to children who don't have school lunches anymore. We received really positive reception for that. I think we we spent some time actually before we pulled the trigger on that, going back and forth on whether whether that was the right thing to do. Period. Whether we should talk about it if we do do it, and that was probably a month ago now when people weren't doing that as much and nobody really knew how to react and what was Mm -hmm. going to seem, what was going to seem tone deaf, even if it actually was helpful. And so we spent a lot of time going back and forth. And honestly, when when we pulled the trigger, didn't necessarily know that it was going to be received as well as it was. And we, we actually thought we'd receive a fair amount of pushback from that, whether it was from people in other parts of the country that saw we were donating mostly in New York, or people that thought we were telling that, telling people we're doing it just to get the goodwill for our brand. But actually we just saw everyone come together and thank us for being mm-hmm. a, a good brand that's making a good product and doing something that's doing our small part for others. So I think that was the right move at the time. Mm-hmm. And now we're trying not, to, trying not to be too reactive and too distracted. Um, there are definitely changes we're making to every part of our business that are subtle. So all of our messaging has to change very slightly. So we went through every single Instagram ad we had running and tweaked the copy slightly. I think in the early days of this crisis, the move was probably to not acknowledge it and not play into it too much because otherwise it seemed like you were taking advantage. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Now I think if you don't acknowledge it, then you're being tone deaf by just pretending things are normal. So what we're doing is sort of subtly being aware of the situation and making sure we're not saying anything that appears tone deaf or that's kind of heartless about what's going on in the world, and just having slight changes to copy and marketing, whether it's in ads or emails. But beyond that, we're just making sure we can make as enough cereal as people want. And we've had some amazing notes via email and social platforms from people who tell us that Magic Spoon is like a really bright spot in their morning. And that's always amazing for us to hear. And we want to make sure that we can keep on doing that. So we're just making sure that supply chain's uninterrupted and that we can get cereal to everyone who wants it.
1: I mean, it really is, it's a very happy product. Um, Not just, you know, it doesn't just taste good, but even the boxes kind of make you smile, um, which I think is nice right now. We were talking before the podcast started, you know, how does it feel? Does it feel kind of weird to talk about the fact that you are doing well right now when so many brands are suffering? And I think the fact that you are making people smile and making people feel good and have yummy food. And when I say people, I mean everyone from, you know, a two-year-old to an 80-year-old, I think is something to really be proud of.
2: Thank you so much for saying that. And even though this is not the time anyone wanted to find ourselves in. That idea is why we created Magic Spoon, right? I think, Mm -hmm. historically, there's been this line between boring, dull, healthy foods and fun junk food. And we wanted to remove that barrier, basically, and say you can actually have something that's fun and colorful and playful and legitimately good for you.
1: You're blowing the minds of a lot of eight-year-olds, which is (laughs) fun, which I think is a really fun thing to do. And you're making a lot of parents very, very happy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's so true it's so true all right so we're getting towards the end um but before we let you guys go we need one last thing jen do you know
1: what time it is i do know what time it is but I, I can't <laughs> i can't I'm find what time it is don't be worried um okay so it is time for the final five
0: so we're just going to ask you guys a lightning round of five totally random questions that have nothing to do with being a co-founder, but I think it's a really nice way to end what I'm sure has been a very entertaining podcast episode.
2: Wow. Well, uh, hard balls <laughs> no hardballs <laughs> here.
0: No, 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 no. Um, all right. So let's, let's do it.
1: Okay. So what are you going first, Melissa?
0: Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Um, what is your all time favorite movie theater candy?
2: Can I say popcorn or is that cheating?
0: That's no, it's fine. Cheating. We'll say snack. We'll say movie theater snack. Fine.
2: All right. Salted popcorn. In fact, when I came to America, I didn't even realize there were like all these different types of popcorn. At home, it's just like you get salt on your popcorn. Yeah. There,
0: Americans don't settle for one thing. We have to like mix and match and find however many versions of sugar yeah. and salt <laughs> and other shit that have we you can ever, eat. So. Have
1: you <laughs> ever tried putting M&Ms in the popcorn so they get like melty and gooey?
3: Yeah, I was about to say, I usually do peanut at M&M's and popcorn. Oh, um, sweet. Both. Okay.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Nice. What is your go-to karaoke
3: song?
2: Wonderwall. I actually go
3: <laughs> You know what would be a funny version of this game is making us each say what we think the other person is going to say. Oh,
0: it's such a good idea.
1: Oh, you like the newlywed game. Okay. Yeah. So, Greg, what is Gabby's I favorite? I
3: you, in a second, Wonderwall by Oasis. <laughs>
1: okay gabby
2: what is gregs uh wow i feel like a terrible friend and business partner i actually don't know <laughs> gregs I yeah i don't heard. have a go-to really all right that's why i don't know
3: <laughs> my heart will go on by celine dion maybe great choice i would have, that that ge- you- I would
2: have never guessed that in wild no card year.
3: wild card have you seen titanic Gabby? <laughs>
1: I mean, I, I think just, he just has plenty of time at home to watch it now. So what? Okay, let's let's keep doing it this way because this is a fun take on it. So, and this is a good question for you guys, Gabby. What is the weirdest thing that Greg has ever eaten? Outside of crickets, you can't outside of crickets,
2: he ate exploding live shrimp brain. <gasps> in.
1: Oh my god.
3: Uh, you know, this is actually an easy one for us because it used to be like our every employee at EXO had to like list the weirdest thing they've ever eaten on in their bio. Oh,
1: that's so fun.
3: So what's Gabby's? Gabby's was guinea pig in South America, or oh, I want to say.
2: Is oh, that right? Uh, that's true. That's actually not the one in my bio. The one that was in my bio was um, jungle bacon, also oh, right. in South America. Do you want
0: to know what that is?
2: Um, I can tell you it's not bacon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, what is it? Now I have to know.
2: Um, I actually never like found out what it actually was. It's a type of bug. They like roast it over fire and it gets a little crispy on the outside. So like you think it's gonna be like crispy bacon when you first see it, but it's very juicy and gooey inside. It was it was not a pleasant experience. Yikes. None of those words sound pleasant. No.
1: To me. I have a question, it's not on our sheet, but I'm curious now. Is what is your favorite pizza topping? Oh, good one.
3: Interesting. Gabby's is definitely pepperoni, green pepper.
2: Greg, is that right? Nice. Yeah. Well, so that's from when we were in college. That was like the go-to Domino's order for <laughs> our, our dorm room. <laughs> um, Greg, Greg loves little mushroom on his pizza.
1: Oh,
0: I
3: do
1: too.
2: pineapple too.
1: Oh, this is gonna be I a could, controversial. I
0: could episode. never get into the sweet on pizza. To me, pizza is a savory item. So I, I don't know, I can't do it. So why
1: don't you guys tell us, do you have anything really excited, exciting planned in the next uh, few weeks? Or what's in the pipeline for Magic Spoon?
2: We do. This month marks our first birthday. And in celebration of turning one, we are launching birthday cake flavor cereal. And it tastes like delicious vanilla frosted cake with some sugar-free confetti sprinkles on it as well.
1: I mean, you guys are just making me so happy today. Sounds <laughs>
2: divine.
1: This is like the real feel-good episode of the week. For
0: sure. All
1: right. Well, that was the partnership. Uh, make sure to visit our website, jenniferbett.com. Um, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss one of our shows. You can also follow us on Instagram at thepartnership and it's the partner underscore ship. Um, In closing, uh, we hope everyone is safe, everyone is staying home, everyone is washing their hands, and everyone is being kind to one another. Take care and stay healthy.